You're listening to Festival Grass, a podcast diving into the business and culture of the music festival world. With your hosts, Mario and Shanae. Well, welcome everybody to the newscast in this week's final edition of 2020. Introducing Blueprints, a new audio series about hard won burner knowledge. 20 stories that defined EDM in 2020. The music industry in the COVID-19 pandemic. Electric forest organizers considering options for summer 2021 dates. Tomorrowland shares official trailer for virtual New Year's Eve festival. But first, Tulum's upcoming Zamna festival is feared to be a super spreader event in the making. So in the wake of one recent super spreader event in Tulum, Mexico, another with devastating potential is on the horizon, Shanae. So Tulum is seemingly becoming a hub for in-person festivals amid the pandemic and a reported lack of precautions is causing concern over repeated COVID-19 super spreader events there. Even worse, the up-and-coming Zamna Festival is not your ordinary dance music event. The festival spans an astounding 17 days and promises to be an immersive electronic experience. If recent past events are any indication, though, the adherence to social distancing and mask-wearing ordinances are unlikely to be upheld. So Zemna Festival, which is scheduled to start on December 31st and goes through to January 16th, has Tulum's locals on alert many of whom would bear the brunt of the effects of such events with super spreader potential. Art With Me, which was the event we spoke about a couple of weeks ago, was a five-day festival in the same area and that was linked to Burning Man. That's where attendees were proven to not have been wearing masks, danced in massive crowds, and reportedly were even able to serve themselves finger food off of the barbecue. Now, if you remember at the time, there was a quote by Eleanor Walzak, uh, who was a founder of a private COVID-19 testing and treatment company in New York. And she was quoted as saying, I would say that 60 to 70 percent of my positive tests in the last couple of weeks in New York City have been a direct result of either people coming back from Art With Me or who have been directly exposed to someone who attended Art With Me. So this does not bode well, Shanae, for another event in Mexico in the Tulum region. And of course, Mexico never shut down. It never had a stay-at-home order. I'm sure that the populace there understands the risks of COVID, but they've just kept the country running. And that has included tourism and clearly also has included these super spreader festival events. What I don't understand is, well, no, I guess that if somebody gets tested before they leave, they could still potentially be COVID positive and the test will come out negative if they're in their incubation time. It just feels like very risky by not having any additional precautions. And even though, like you said, you know, Mexico has been open for business and has been running normally, their tourists have not where they're from, the countries that they originate from or currently live in all have certain procedures and policies. So I think it's a little bit irresponsible of all of those people who attended these festivals, just simply for the fact that, you know, when they get home, there's not these additional precautions around to make sure they've been safe and they're not going to spread this virus. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like, you know, you can put anything on a website, you know, get your test done, do this, wear a mask, you stay six feet away. Like we know, we know festivals are the explosion of the fantastic. People are there to have a good time. It's really hard to keep people apart. That's pretty clear. That's why 
I'm worried that they're not going to be allowed to go forward because they're, they're, they are these kinds of events. It's going to be really hard to control any kind of spread. And just even maybe politically or even just pr procedurally, it's going to be a hard thing to be the first thing that comes back in 2021 the same, right? But these festivals clearly are not even doing their due diligence to provide safe zones for not only the people who are coming in and out of their festival, but they're not even considerate of the locale, of the community. There's a stat here that Mexico has the highest case fatality rate in the world which is at 9.1%. So even though COVID-19 obviously isn't the most deadliest thing that's ever hit us, it's a novel virus. People are not immune to it and it spreads rapidly. And unfortunately, it's taking a lot of the population's vulnerable people down. And, you know, for a mortality rate to be that high, that's incredibly worrisome. And I just don't think, like, I'm just not, I love music festivals. I don't think this is giving them a good name. And I'm not impressed by these festival producers who are clearly snubbing the world at large during a pandemic. I don't get it. Yeah, it's that the show must go on mentality, but they're not looking at the after effects of that. And they're not looking at their level of responsibility and accountability when putting on a festival. As much as you don't want to be responsible for the things that your attendees do, your brand is out there. You become responsible for it. Introducing Blueprints, a new audio series about hard-won burner knowledge. Hosted by Sassy Von Dish, Blueprints is the new Burning Man project, oral storytelling project that documents the lessons learned and hands-on knowledge gained from being an active participant in Black Rock City. Each short podcast is a conversation with a remarkable human who, through diving in and getting involved in the Burnerverse, has learned resilience, empathy, kindness, and other qualities that bring a lasting impact. In an interview posted in the Burning Man Journal, Sassy Von Dish states, I push for them to focus on the lessons learned and how they've applied this to their daily lives outside of Black Rock City. A big part of who and what I am today, I can trace back to Black Rock City. I think anybody can benefit from hearing these stories. They give you, hopefully, a different point of view on how to do things. The things they do at Black Rock City has been done in many cities around the world throughout the ages, you know, since the Roman times. We're doing it. It's exactly the same, but it's not what we're doing. It's how we're doing it. There's a big difference. We're having fun. We're building community as we go along. So I think that these are really important and relevant themes in these particular times, and they're universal. It's something that anyone can use, hence the name Blueprints. When you hear Blueprints, you know there is a set of plans to build something. That's a blueprint. In this case, it's Blueprints for how to become a better person and probably how to lead a better life and how to make a difference personally on whomever is around you in your community. That ripple effect that happens. I think that this is awesome. I think everybody who is just starting their burner experience or people who dream to go to Burning Man one day and participate... I think this podcast would be your guide. From the sounds of it here, I would really love to listen to this. It's great to learn about anything through the eyes of someone who's experienced it over a long period of time. And this guy certainly has. I mean, what, 17, 16, 17 years in a row he went? I mean, that's amazing. And you can just imagine what he's seen and what he's learned. And I think what I really take away from this is... That, that he mentions here that him being a participant in Black Rock City and volunteering there has given him a set of skills that he's now using in his professional life and his day-to-day -day life. And I think that's the importance I take away from festivals myself 
because when I went for the first few times, it was really more about the party and enjoying myself and exploding in the fantastic with everybody else. Uh, but then I started to see all these value added things that I could glean from there, like community, helping people, being involved in things and just seeing a lot of boundaries breaking down. No one's judging you. Everyone's welcoming. It's, it's really quite an, an incredible feeling when you're in, in like it's, it's one thing to say something like that. It's another thing to do it. And or to be around it. And it just affects you a different way. And then as well, in terms of Burning Man, you know, the art community, and he was in, very involved in that. And he has a background in merchandising. So he's dealing with these artists that are building these art cars and construct, like, yeah, I guess, uh, venues and all these kinds of things that are happening there. And he saw it from that perspective, and obviously had to deal with 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 not just you know, the experiences he was having from an enjoyment point of view, but also work, like he was working there, it seemed like. And I think that's what we should want to get from festivals when we go. The enjoyment, obviously, but we should also want to find just a different way to look at the world and bring those experiences and those skill sets back to reality when we leave places that, like festivals, that have to be taken apart at the end of their four, seven days in this case with Burning Man. What I'm happy about in terms of this podcast is that I think when people listen to it, I'm assuming that they will get what I just said, which is that, you know, festivals can be a whole lot of fun and they can be just that if you want them to, but they can also lead you down a better path of living. Be sure to keep tuning in weekly for our music festival newscast and subscribe to our Deep Dives, our bi-monthly in-depth topical discussion show with interviews and guests that will bring you insight and knowledge. Link in the show notes. All right. So Electric Forest, Shanae, your favorite festival is considering... My favorite. Your favorite is considering options for summer 2021 days. Now, as you know, I am a bit weary of festivals coming back full force at least as we know them. And this just proves that they are hesitant. But what the reason this story came out is because they've seemingly been spurred by recent vaccination news and apparently many fan requests to know if they are indeed locking in for their usual dates at the end of June there in Rothbury Forest, Michigan. Now, they don't seem to share anything concrete here. And they say, you know, basically that there's too many variables at play, even early in this vaccination stage of the pandemic. I want to read the message that they did eventually send out, which is greetings Forest family. We are all excited to be moving into the new year and eager to gather together again. With that in mind, Forest HQ is currently considering options for electronic forest summer 2021 dates. While we are holding our typical June timeframe, which is late June, we have to consider health and safety guidelines as well as artist infrastructure and vendor availability. That part I think is interesting, vendor availability. So these all play a part in confirming a date for summer 2021. Thank you for your patience and understanding while we navigate the opportunities. We will communicate again with confirmed information. And then they go on to say that everything remains the same in terms of lodging, packaging, and uh, refunds and any transfers that they had from last year, blah, blah, blah. All that stuff is still the same. So really no commitment. But I think the reason I brought this story up, it does signify to me that the major festivals are being weary about dedicating to their schedule too early in 2021. And I imagine that they're all going to try to push towards the end of summer, if possible. Yeah. And, you know, the thing with Electric Forest, I'm happy that they did make a statement because, of course, everybody's emailing them 
wanting to know what's going on. The thing that makes me hesitant is while they're, you know, being open and honest with the fact that they have to consider some options, they've also said that they're holding their typical time frame. So to me, that means if, you know, festivals are unable to happen the beginning of June, but they could happen the end of August, Electric Forest might just not happen this year, just based on the wording and how I've interpreted it, of course. The other thing just makes me really sad. I do have a ticket to Electric Forest. And I, of course, over this last year was like, yeah, 2021, I at least I'll get that. And as the months go by, I'm becoming a little more pessimistic, a little less hopeful, just because I know it's such a large scale festival. They have over 50,000 attendees and they're, they're going to have to do a lot to alter it and make it safe without really disrupting the experience so much. Yeah, exactly. And of course, we need to remember that um, a lot of people did keep their ticket for Electric Forest, so they, they chose to use it in 2021. I think the concerning thing is here is that around the same time as they have their festival, of course, Glastonbury, one of the largest festivals in the world, happens in the United Kingdom. And that's, of course, gotten a lot of press recently because there's been clamoring to the fact that they're not going to put the festival on if they're not going to be insured by the government, if there's no underwriting of their insurance by the government. So this is a worrying trend. I know the United States works differently than the United Kingdom, but we're starting to see patterns and we're starting to see potential signs of what concerns these massive events have because you can't, you know, I know Live Nation is very (laughs) positive about everything coming back hunky-dory, but they're also a big machine and they're doing it from a PR perspective as well. We're going to talk about them later in the show here, but you know, at at the end of the day, the Electric Forest is a private music festival. It's privately held. They don't have sponsorships. At least they don't have direct money infusions from other people or other uh, brands or or conglomerates or whatnot. So they're in a different position here. They really need to make decisions based on the safety of the people who come to their festival. That's their core group. There's a huge loyal following to Electric Forest. They have one of the most desired brand followings, I think, out there because they sell out in a heartbeat every year. Um, It's really hard to get a ticket there. And of course, if you're a ticket holder for multiple years in a row, you start to get extra perks and you get a pin, I believe, right? Yeah. So you get a pin. If you've been there for four years in a row or you've been there for six years in a row, you get a pin that lets you into secret things around the forest. So I currently do not hold a pin, but it lets you, if you're in GA also, it lets you kind of like skip the line. You have a line bypass by having this pin and um, there's just other perks throughout your time at Forest. Yeah. And I think that's brilliant. And, and, and obviously that just shows that they really value their, their fan base and their audience and their ticket holders. So that, that's a really great sign there. And it, I mean, I think they're going to make the best decisions possible for sure. But I think if Glastonbury doesn't go through, I'm worried that these large festivals in early 2021 are not either. Yeah. And the other consideration that they have to take is many of their attendees are international or out of state or even just within North America, like a lot of Canadians go to that festival. And so if our borders aren't open to go and they have their festival going on, they have to do something to keep their out-of-town attendees loyal to their brand and hopefully not screw them over. Would you like to be on the show if you or someone you know is a journalist with a relevant article topic or can speak to a story we have covered, please click or forward the guest sign-up link in the show notes. We'd love to have you on. Don't be shy. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support.
the music industry in the COVID-19 pandemic via Life Nation. So we know many medium and small-sized live music organizations struggle to survive and are dependent on the public's financial support. However, how is the situation for the large conglomerates? Is their existence also at stake? Music Business Research tries to answer these questions by analyzing the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on the world's largest concert and ticketing conglomerate, Live Nation. Based on their quarterly reports from January to September 2020, it's analyzed how the live entertainment giant has been affected by the pandemic and highlights Live Nation's strategy to weather the storm. In 2019, Live Nation had its best financial year ever. The consolidated revenue peaked at $11.7 billion U.S., after an increase by 128% since 2010, so over nine years, when Live Nation merged with the world's largest ticketing company, Ticketmaster. Live Nation also reported a net income after tax of $118.2 million after several years of losses. In terms of profit, Live Nation's business model does not rely on the concert promotion business, but on ticketing and sponsorship advertising. In 2019, Live Nation reported an operating loss of the concert segment of $53.5 million, which was more than compensated by a positive operating income in their ticketing segment of $232 million. And of course, their sponsorship and advertising segment of $330.3 million. But in their first three months of 2020, Live Nation canceled over 5,000 concerts, which is equivalent to 15 million tickets, and had to postpone another 22 million tickets into 2021. So obviously, their overall revenue for the three quarters in 2020 decreased by 81%. The operating income for the first three quarters of 2020 turned into a loss of $556.4 million after they had a profit of $221 million the previous year. Mario, can you believe that? They lost $556 million this year. However, their sponsorship and advertising is the only segment with a modest but positive operating income of $40.8 million for the three quarters until September 30th this year, which of course did not compensate for the loss of all the other segments. Nevertheless, Live Nation has also had to implement salary reductions for most of their employees, stopping the hiring of new staff, terminating working contracts of employees. They had other cost savings, which came from renegotiating their rentals of third-party venues, eliminating travel and accommodation expenses for artists and tour support staff, postponing repair and maintenance, as well as cutting marketing costs. Live Nation also benefits from government support programs in all parts of the world. Additionally, Live Nation has reduced advances in the concert and ticketing business to secure current liquidity. The quarterly report of the financial period ended on September 30th highlights all their cost-saving initiatives and government support programs, which helped to reduce $900 million of costs. While that's good news for Live Nation stakeholders and investors, it's bad news for thousands of their employees who lost their jobs and livelihoods. But it is essential for Live Nation to get backing from strategic investors during the pandemic. As soon as the live music market will be back on track after COVID-19 pandemic, Live Nation will definitely be in a stronger market position, probably the strongest that they've ever seen. Mario, how are you feeling about hearing ticketing giants' ability to succeed and move forward when the small and medium scale companies cannot? First of all, this article here by Peter Schmuck via Music Business Research is really well done. I was enjoying reading it, but also the way that he, he broke it all down and made me understand the current structure, the financial structure and the asset bases of Live Nation after it had merged with 
Ticketmaster because now, of course, it's a beast, right? When I was reading it, I was thinking, okay, fine. It sounds like this company has been built to a position where it's too big to fail. And its tentacles are all over the world because it produces events all over the world. And as you mentioned, they are now benefiting from different governments giving money, which is fine because, you know, if, if they're, you know, in charge of creating events and they own maybe some properties, some, some, some concert venues in Europe and all that kind of stuff and, um, and in South America or whatever, then, you know, technically, well, I don't think they'd be getting money in South America. This is probably more of a Europe thing. So if they're getting money in Europe, um, and, and maybe even down in Australia, you know, you would, and in the UK, of course, you know, you would think, okay, fine. You know, that's, that's relative to that marketplace. They're going to come back stronger than ever because they have access to financial tools and financial systems and technology that most small businesses don't have. But you also did mention there that they were able to cut costs over 900 million right away. Like they're, they seem to be a very well run, extremely efficient company who saw the weather pattern changing and, and quickly tucked in their sails and battened down the hatches and, and survived. And unfortunately, you know, I mean, I've, I've seen even friends of mine who had businesses just weren't able to go from selling in person to selling online with any kind of efficiency and therefore were suffering massive hemorrhaging of money because they still owed money to suppliers. And of course, this is being in the fashion business and they needed to purchase more for, for the coming seasons. And they had all this inventory that they weren't moving. So there was it's problematic when businesses aren't able to adapt on the fly. And that often, you know, when you're small, you you, you sometimes think that you know, you can adjust more quickly, which technically you can because th there's not as much, you know, weight to your to maneuver. But when you're big, you've got knowledge, you've got well-trained people, you've got, you know, hierarchy of management and, you know, smart CEOs and the pressure of finance, making sure that you're checking all your boxes. What I hope to see in the coming future, because clearly Live Nation's going to come out of this just fine after it rejigged everything, is that it will then start re-employing people. And, and just as soon as live events come back, we'll also see that employment level rise. I do think that's what's going to happen. I mean, if you have a concert venue come roaring back to life, which I think is going to be the first thing that's going to come back, not festivals, it's going to be concert venues. Uh, they just have more money invested in those than the festivals do. And, and obviously concert venues, some are owned by Live Nation, but they're also independent property ownerships out there who need to get these places back in business. I mean, I'm a big football watcher. These stadiums are empty. Obviously, the 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 teams are still making money because of TV revenues, but the owners are losing a massive amount of money because they're not able to, you know, have people flood their stadiums and pay for parking and buy the buy the stuff in the stands and all that kind of stuff. And I think that there's a huge pressure on them to make sure that they, you know, keep generating revenue in, in the coming year so they can start putting that money back into the mortgage of their of their stadiums and the property taxes and all that kind of stuff. So I think that's where the pressure is going to be. Unfortunately, you know, with festivals, they don't have the position that Live Nation does. And Live Nation does support some festivals, I believe. I'm not exactly sure how many they run, but I know that Bonnaroo is one of them. So we'll see if Bonnaroo comes back 
with all the strength because Live Nation's backing them with liquidity. We'll, we'll see what happens there. We have to remember Live Nation is a monster. They actually are agents to some artists as well. So they're able to book artists into venues that they own and then sell the tickets. Like they have all, they have their hands in all the money transferring. It's incredible. Uh, when I was reading this, I was seeing how much power that they have. Look, they were also saying how because of Live Nation's strength and you'd, you'd asked about the smaller event production businesses and the fact that they're not going to be able to withstand the storm, Live Nation's going to go buy them. This is what happens when strong companies, behemoths come out strong. They see all the weakness around them and they just snap it up and add it to their to their balance sheet. That That's how these companies work. That's why they get bigger and bigger and bigger and they merge, merge, merge. That's, this is like, look at Facebook. They just buy the competition and this is what Live Nation is going to do. As an attendee point of view and as somebody who goes to events and shows and festivals, I think it's hopeful because then we're at least going to have some sort of events coming out of the gate. But... It is a shame. I think like, of course, we're seeing and we're seeing this in all industries and not just the music industry, but small businesses being drastically affected and then big box businesses, you know, surviving or thriving. And it's a bit it's a little bit shameful. Um, But in this case, I guess I will be a little positive and be a little hopeful that that means we will have some strong events coming out of out of this pandemic. Yeah, I mean, the worst thing would be to hear them do something like radius clauses and where they just start wielding their power like Coachella did to festivals in Portland that we covered a story back in August and they got taken to court for that. Like what happens when companies get this strong, the the concern is that they get greedy and they start, they realize their position of power and they start taking advantage of it to the detriment of competition. And they just throw their weight around and radius clauses are certainly something that they could do uh, to crush their competition if any tried to resist. All right, so next up, the 20 stories that defined EDM in 2020. Now, I didn't write this. It was written and posted on EDM.com. This is what they wrote. 2020 was a year that tested the strength of the dance music industry. Yes, it was downright awful, but the year also reinforced the resilience of the EDM community, forcing its members to unlock upsurges of creativity that would have otherwise remained latent. Without the ability to tour, artists, event promoters, venue operators, and practically every music pro found themselves scrambling to acclimate to the new norm. Ultimately, the electronic music space mutated into a socially distanced, Frankenstein-like monstrosity of drive-in shows, quasi-legal raves, and virtual festivals. But even in a year to forget, it remained as captivating as ever. As we count down to Tay's, until we're able to finally tie a bow on the lump of coal that was 2020, here are the 20 stories that defined EDM this past year. First up, the return of Pendulum after a decade. Coachella abandons 2020 event due to COVID-19 concerns. Lady Gaga releases Chromatica. Deadmau5 hosts successful drive-in rave in Canada. This was local. Toronto, we get mentioned. Tomorrowland around the world attracts 1 million viewers. Not tickets sold, but viewers. We made that correction on one of our shows. Twitch versus the music industry. Ticketmaster shares plan to require vaccinated proof for entry to concerts. And then backpedals. Protesters chant to Dirty Bird song in Detroit. Bass Nectar retires from music following allegations of sexual misconduct. The death of I.O. 
the mythical upcoming album from Skrillex, the release of Underplayed, Excision launches Subsidia Records, Avicii's legacy lives on, Porter Robertson's Secret Sky Music Festival, Burning Man canceled for first time in history, Death of Cookie Monster, Red Pill VR and Ushoya's Ibiza develop groundbreaking virtual club experience. David Guetta's United at Home stream raises over 700000 for COVID-19 relief. Investment firm acquires Calvin Harris's publishing catalog for $90 million. That being the last one on the list, Janae, which ones stand out to you? I think that that really sums up. There were like positives and negatives to 2020. Something that really stood out to me was actually the death of Cookie Monster. I didn't realize that. I, I completely missed that that he had died. I just Googled it and the cause of death was announced. And so Cookie Monster died of lymph- lymphoma. It was at the age of 31. And so like I did know who he was as a DJ, enjoyed his music, but never was like a hardcore fan. I'm happy that they announced or they added to their list uh, Dead Mouse's drive-in show in Toronto. She had like a nice uh, little shout out to Toronto. Yeah, well, we're the fourth largest city in North America. People don't know that. We'll keep repeating it on this show. We're proud. We're Toronto proud. Uh, and what were your standouts, Mario? Look, I, I I mean, rest in peace to all the talent that we lost this year. It's it's always sad. And, um, you know, we wish it didn't happen, but that's that's just the course of life, unfortunately. So I'm glad that we, you know, can remember them and 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 honor those those talents for having left us with legacies of their own. And then for me, I, I think um, I would say the Tomorrowland. Like I was really impressed when they came out with their their 3D virtual event offering. They're the only ones who did it at that scale, and I think they really stood apart as a brand on the world stage. So if you didn't know about Tomorrowland before, you do now and you will in the future because they're they're firmly one of the best ever in the world, in my opinion. Just their, their ability to, you know, harness the resources and put put together the effort to deliver something that they've never quite done before, I think really is a testament to what festivals can be in our world where a lot of people survive on music, you know, and a lot of people survive on the connectivity that that comes around music. And then as well, I would say the other thing that stood out to me is the virtual reality. And of course, you know, obviously Burning Man, I'm speaking of Burning Man, I'm surprised that it's sale of one at 1.2 billion didn't make this story. But of course, the bigger story was that it got canceled this year for the first ever time in its history, which is pretty remarkable. However, I believe it will be back, obviously. And now they have this virtual landscape and theirs was particular because it was a multiverse. So you you could go in there with virtual uh, goggles and get involved in Minecrafty world kind of stuff, kind of style. And there's been a lot of work put into that and it'll continue to grow. And I think that'll give a lot of people access. And maybe the virtual world itself, even though it's not a replacement, I think it's gotten a big boost this year. It was already on the rails. It was already going to come. But I think people would rather go in person to these events than watch them through a headset, in my opinion. I mean, that, that's how I feel about it. However, you can't go to all of them. Some of them are really far. And for festivals to give others who can't travel or can't afford the fees or, or whatever it may be, or it may not be safe to do so in, in this era of a pandemic, it gives people a chance to 
get to know the brand and get to know maybe music styles and and maybe there's going to be a more community built through the virtual landscapes that's going to make it feel a bit more connected than it otherwise would be and i think this is these are all really positive developments and as was mentioned in the beginning of the piece this pandemic for all of its darkness has also moved a lot of light into to our new year right there's a lot of development there's a lot of things that have come out of this and it just it's a testament to the spirit of the human condition and especially in music you know artists can take this hard in terms of loss of revenue can't travel can't get booked can't play to live audiences i mean that that's really what they're built around right that's what being musical artist is all about and then not to mention everyone who's involved with festivals and, and the, the live music industry so a lot of people have had a very difficult time but it just goes to show that all of these things maybe have helped them through uh, through it as well and leading to a more interesting world coming around in 2021 where there'll be this blend of the return of live events music and then also better refinement of online products and offerings that will be a nice, I think, complimentary offering to both ways of enjoying music and festivals. Tomorrowland shares their official trailer for their virtual New Year's Eve festival. The production of this virtual augmented reality looks absolutely incredible. The detail they've put into creating this virtual world is is outstanding. It's nothing like anyone else has put on. If you have not seen the trailer yet, be sure to click the link in the show notes to watch it. Yeah, definitely watch the trailer. It gave me this Game of Thrones feel. They even had, you know, the weirwood heart looking tree all in gold. And then the bird's eye view of the crow, you know, with its eyelids uh, flapping there. And you could tell you were looking through the through the crow's eyes as you swoop down into the crowd. I think this is going to be magnificent. As I've told you, I'm, I'm, this is what I'm doing for New Year's. <clears throat> whether I'm doing it alone or whether there's a very few people coming over, I'm definitely doing this. I'm projecting it in my studio and it's going to be amazing. I'm really happy that they provided this because, you know, in parts of the world, especially in Canada, in the UK, and probably in many others, they're encouraging people to stay at home this New Year's and not to congregate. Why make the winter worse for a lot of other people? Just try to keep it on the down low. And uh, look, the silver lining on your cloud, as you might consider it, um, is that you would have this amazing product that Tomorrowland has created for you. It starts at 8 p.m. No matter what time zone you're in, it starts at 8 p.m. and it goes till 3 a.m. And um, you can have this package here. It's the New Year's Eve package. I hadn't seen this on their website before, but you get four exclusive Tomorrowland bracelets, New Year's Eve edition, one unique poster, New Year's Eve edition, one ice cube shaper with the Tomorrowland logo, one CD, a Tomorrowland lanyard, one gold icon cap, a metal keychain, a dice game, Never heard of the dice game there. It's a limited edition. Four foam LED sticks, four confetti poppers, and uh, Tomorrowland photo props, a set of five. So now you may have had to have already ordered this as all packages um, you know, would be mailed to you. The New Year's Eve pass is 20 euros, and you can get a New Year's Eve pass with an on-demand pass. That's an extra five euros. That means that you can watch it up until January 14th um, as a replay kind of thing. And it's not even that expensive, to be honest. It's worthwhile for all of those who have to stay hunkered down this New Year's Eve to get a little electronic dance music from 
the masterminds over there in Belgium. Well, thanks everyone for joining us on another week's Festival Grasp. We look forward to seeing you again in 2021. Please, please be safe. Practice social distancing, love each other and dance, dance, dance. Make sure to subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or via your chosen podcast collector. So you'll never miss us talking into your ears again. And while you're at it, if you find value in what we are discussing, rate us on Apple Podcasts. It's like telling a friend about it, but better. And it gives us a chance in that big old world out there. I know we're just getting to know each other, but come on, show us some love. We're here for you. You're here for us. So let's do this thing. To sign up as an expert guest on the show, to leave us a question or message, or to jar tip your support, follow the appropriate links in the show notes. Be sure to keep tuning in weekly for our music festival newscast and subscribe to Deep Dives, our bi-monthly in-depth topical discussion show with interviews and guests that will bring you insight and knowledge. Link in the show notes. This podcast edited by GBA Recordings. For me, Mario. And Shanae. See you next time. Bye.